Hello and welcome to the IGH podcast. When someone mentions malaria, our minds usually turn to other countries, imagining that such a problem is worlds away inhabiting tropical jungles. While that's certainly true of human malaria, our birds are not so lucky. Avian malaria is distributed worldwide with the exception of Antarctica. Avian malaria is spread by biting mosquitoes, with the main vector in the UK being Culex pipiens. The impact of the disease on bird populations varies. Some birds will not show any symptoms, but other populations can be driven to extinction by avian malaria, although even those without overt symptoms may be sufficiently weakened, causing an increase in the death rate. Zoos in particular have suffered from avian malaria infection. London Zoo lost six penguins to an outbreak in 2012, and Longleat took the decision to close their penguin exhibit in 2018 after a second outbreak called into question the viability of keeping penguins. Despite these problems, little is known about the distribution of mosquitoes around zoos and their ability to infect birds with avian malaria. With us today to talk about his research on this topic is Arturo Hernández Colina, a PhD student working on a project entitled A Study of the Epidemiology and Vectors of Avian Malaria in UK Zoos. Good morning, Artur. Good morning, Peter. Thank you very much for the invitation. No, thanks very much for coming along and uh, telling us about your work with avian malaria. First of all, how many blood parasites can affect birds? Well, there's a big number of blood parasites that can infect birds. Uh, my research is focused on a specific group called Hemosporidias, and this group has three main genus of parasites, which are Plasmodium, Leucocytosun, and Hemoproteus. The most important one is Plasmodium, because uh, this is the, the most commonly associated with the disease and the deaths in wild birds. From this genus, we have about 60 species and more than 900 lineages that have been reported in over 600 species of, species of birds. So it's a big diversity of parasites that could be uh, found in birds and their effects are also very diverse. It's very different. Some of them could kill them, some of those go unnoticed. So the diversity of blood parasites seems to be a lot greater than human malaria, where there's only a, a few species that affect people. Yes, indeed. Um, it's possibly one of the most um, diverse groups of um, protozoa species that parasite birds, uh, because it's a common it's a common assumption that these parasites co-evolved with their host for many billions of years, and the diversity of the of the parasite is also very big as as well as the diversity of the of the host so there are many many species at the beginning of the research of these parasites the um the, the people working on this were looking at the parasite under the microscope and they were looking for morphological differences to tell apart between the species and mm -hmm. so on so they have like 60 species based on the morphology of the parasite but now, thanks to the uh, molecular techniques that we are implementing into the, the research of this parasite, the lineages are increasing rapidly. We have more than, than, than 900 already. And there is not a perfect match between the morphological species and the lineages of the parasite. And when people mention malaria in uh, humans, it's often associated with very severe symptoms, uh, mortality, fever, headaches. 
does it cause similar symptoms in birds or is it less severe? It depends on the species and the lineage of the parasite. Some of them could cause uh, serious mortalities and others could go unnoticed. It's completely different. There are some uh, very good examples of high mortality in birds. One of them is that um, a few years ago, the mosquito that transmitted avian malaria was introduced into the Hawaiian islands and then the parasite was introduced. But because these birds have not been exposed to the parasite before, uh, they uh, had a very severe mortality. Indeed, some, some of these species went completely extinct and others had uh, limitations in their population distribution. And another group of birds that, are, that is highly susceptible to the infection uh, is penguins, because also they haven't been exposed to the parasite um, uh, and, the, and the vector for many, many years. And when they do, they could have severe signs, disease and mortalities. So the problem that we have is that we've brought penguins up from the Antarctic where there are no mosquitoes to spread avian malaria and we've put them in an environment where this disease is quite prevalent and they just can't survive it. Yeah, that's correct because uh, the penguins live in very cold, dry and windy areas so there are not many mosquitoes or other vectors around but when we move them to zoos, wildlife parks or rescue centers they go um, under certain stressful uh, situations and also they get exposed to the local uh, mosquito population and the local avian malaria parasites that perhaps to the local birds it's it doesn't cause many things or we don't really know but we can see them in the penguins because they are not exposed um, they were not exposed before and they are highly susceptible. Hmm. There are species of penguin that live in temperate climates like the little blue penguins in New Zealand and yeah. some penguin species in South Africa where there are mosquitoes present. Are those, are those species of penguin more resistant to avian malaria? We don't really know yet, but we have found that uh, avian malaria affects uh, penguins also in the, in, 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 in the wild. A few, a few reports have been done also in um, Galapagos penguins, which also are the only species of penguins that lives above the equator, just for a few kilometers. Uh, but it's a more, uh, it's, it's, it's a warmer um, environment, and they're exposed to mosquitoes there. But perhaps the parasites that are in that area are not as pathogenic as others. Perhaps they were infected before and they had um, a very good immune response, so they they don't suffer so much. Or perhaps we don't notice because also uh, there is not so much research constantly going in these remote areas. Mm. So there's a lot of things that we still need to to investigate around the disease in wild penguins. So the, the disease is definitely present within the UK, but we don't generally hear about it and we don't hear about outbreaks in the same way that we would hear about an outbreak of bird flu, for example. Does that mean that the birds in the UK are more resistant to it or we have less pathogenic species of avian malaria? Uh, perhaps it's a bit of both things. Some species of birds um, are well adapted to the, to, the to the parasite and they can have a very strong immune response to the parasite. So what happens is that the parasite first has an acute phase of infection in which it could kill some 
some birds, some individuals, some uh, especially young individuals. But if they survive, then the parasite goes into a chronic phase of infection and it remains dormant inside the bird, inside the tissues of the bird. So it doesn't cause more, more problems to that bird. So that's why we don't see uh, mass mortalities of wild birds due to avian malaria, as you mentioned with avian flu or avian botulism that could kill hundreds of thousands of birds in a single event. So this, fa uh, this factor of coevolution between the parasite and the host in avian malaria is critical. And it's probably the reason why there's so much difference in the susceptibility of the birds. So that brings us uh, on to the life cycle of the malaria parasite within birds. Uh, could you talk me through what happens during, during the life cycle? Well, the life cycle of this parasite is very complex. It has many stages, it has um, many intermediate um, stages of the parasite, but in simple terms, what happens is that an infected mosquito goes and bites a, a new uh, a new bird, a new host. In the bird, the parasite migrates to the bird's tissues, then it reproduces, it reproduces there. After, after that, it goes to the blood in a different stage, then reproduces again in the red blood cells of the, of the bird. And a new mosquito uh, bites the bird, gets the parasite, and the parasite migrates first to the guts of the mosquito, goes through another reproduction uh, stage there, and then the parasite migrates back to the salivary glands of the mosquito, and then it's ready for being transmitted to a new bird. So it's very complex, but um, that's basically what happens. So your work is focused around whether mosquitoes in zoos in the UK are infected with avian malaria and also if they have the capacity to pass avian malaria onto the birds within the zoos. You mentioned when we were having a chat earlier that uh, you started off with a, a setup where you were going to investigate two zoos, one that didn't have avian malaria and one that did have avian malaria, uh, but that didn't quite work out. Could you tell us why? Yes, that, that was the original design of the study. We had uh, a site that was negative for avian malaria that never reported the disease before, and another site, another zoo, that had the previous year uh, a severe mortality due to the parasite. So the original design was to compare between both sides and see if uh, one had the vector or the other uh, didn't have it, things like that. But at the end, what happened was that in the positive side, in the positive zoo, they started a preventive treatment for their penguins and they look after them very well, so they didn't have any more cases. Whereas in the, in the supposedly negative side, we, um, we, we were sampling the mosquitoes and during this time they start dying constantly, one or two penguins per week for a few months and we confirmed that they were infected with avian malaria. The original design of one positive side against another one was inverted. But it's still very interesting because we could have samples before, during and after the outbreak, which was unique in this study. So a fortunate turn of events. Yes, very unfortunate for the penguins, but interesting <laughs> yeah. for our science. Yes. 
your experiments required you to go to these zoos and catch a lot of mosquitoes. How do you trap mosquitoes here? Well, we were looking for mosquitoes in two different ways. We were looking for adult mosquitoes and also for immature stages of the mosquitoes. So for the adult mosquitoes, we had two different kinds of traps. One of these traps lures mosquitoes that are looking for a blood meal with, a, with an attractant that mimics uh, mammals' uh, sweat. And then it sucks the mosquitoes into a net. And the other trap attracts mosquitoes that are looking for a place where to lay their eggs. And again, it sucks the mosquitoes into a net with a fan. So we place these traps in uh, 11 something areas in one zoo, four in the other zoo. One of these traps was running constantly uh, and we collected the nets twice a week, after one week and after one day. At the same time, in the first day, we prepared the other trap and we collected the nets uh, after 24 hours. So ideally we have a set of mosquitoes that was that has been collected through the week and another set of mosquitoes that were that were fresh from 24 hours collections so we assume that these mosquitoes were better for the identification the analysis and the parasite testing mm -hmm. although there was another uh, there was not a big difference at the end uh, nevertheless we had to visit the zoos uh, the zoo twice a week uh, for eight to nine months for two years the other thing was to sample the immature stages of the mosquitoes for this i went to the breeding sites of the mosquitoes ponds uh, water bodies uh, things like that and i took a sample of water and then i using a pipette i took out the the larvae and the pupae of the mosquitoes these uh, were raised in the insectary until they hatch as adults and then I identify them to see abund abundance of mosquitoes and species richness. And if you run a trap for a week, how many mosquitoes do you normally catch? Well, that's highly variable. It depends on the, uh, on the time of the season, the, uh, the location of the trap, some of the traps were getting hundreds of mosquitoes in a single day. Others were getting just uh, a, a few tens of mosquitoes or none at all. So that's what we wanted to see. If there was difference between the areas, because the surroundings around the traps were different as well. So we could make an association between what was around the area and what was um, attracting mosquitoes to the area. So it was highly, highly variable. Indeed, one day we got a trap that collected in a single day more than 1,000 mosquitoes. That's quite impressive. So once you've got your 1,000 mosquitoes, you have to take them back to the lab and go through each one individually to try and identify the species. Yes, that's it. We have to uh, look at the mosquitoes individually to see the morphological features that tell us the species of the mosquitoes. Uh, so it's a, it's a hard work, I have to say, but fortunately I had the help of an um, underwater student who did a placement with us and she helped me a lot with identifications of the first year of mosquitoes. And she also did the analysis of the blood meals uh, of, of, of these mosquitoes, that was her project. But uh, yeah, she helped me a lot. Nevertheless, it's, uh, it's a hard work, it requires lots of hours for, for doing this. Lots of hours and lots of patience. Yes, yes. After this, you see mosquitoes everywhere. You dream with mosquitoes, 
it's horrible. But then the, the results uh, were the effort. As well as identifying the mosquitoes, you were also tasked with trying to find out what species of animal the mosquitoes had been feeding on. How do you tell what species of animal a mosquito has been feeding on? Well, this part about uh, finding out which uh, animal the mosquitoes were feeding on was this student's project. And what we did was to, during the identification of the mosquitoes, we look for the mosquitoes with the best abdomens with blood inside them. So these were the uh, fully engorged mosquitoes with fresh blood. And then we cut off the abdomens. We did an extraction, uh, a DNA extraction from these, uh, from these abdomens. We did a nested PCR that amplifies a region of the uh, COX-1 gene that is general for all, for all vertebrates. So any vertebrate DNA will be amplified and all the positive products were sent for sequencing. When the lab gave us back the sequence, we compared the sequence with the reported sequences in the databases, um, Bold and, uh, and Blast databases, and we found the best match uh, depending on the, on the sequence. Mm -hmm. So we could tell apart if it was a bird, a zoo bird, uh, uh, a, a mammal or a zoo animal. So that, that gene is like a, a barcode. You read it off and it tells you what species of animal the, the DNA came from. Yes, exactly. Um, there are some regions of this gene that, that are highly uh, conserved among the species and among groups. But at the same time, there are some other parts that are unique for the species. Mm -hmm. So we could tell apart uh, between the species just after looking at the sequence and compare it to the, to the databases. And what kind of animals were the mosquitoes feeding on? Well, many mosquitoes were feeding on wild birds. We found lots of wild birds, local resident birds. Other mosquitoes were feeding on zoo animals, some mammals, some birds, including um, camels, giraffes, things like that. Uh, but surprisingly, there was a, a big number of mosquitoes. Almost 50% of the mosquitoes were feeding on humans. So we think that this could be possible because uh, there were a lot of visitors in the zoos and a lot of staff working around. Indeed, one of the most prolific areas, uh, something areas in which we found blood-fed mosquitoes was just behind a children's playground and next to um, a restaurant. So many people sitting around having a good time, easy targets for mosquitoes. So that could be a, f a, a factor that the mosquitoes are being attracted to this uh, high abundance of potential meals mm -hmm. that are humans. And do mosquitoes just feed on one animal in their lifetime or do they have to feed on various different, do you get mixed blood within your samples? Yes, indeed. We also uh, found mixed bloods uh, in our samples because uh, we found uh, a mosquito that had blood from a giraffe and also from a local bird. Uh, another mosquito that had blood from bird and human. And this, this happens because sometimes the mosquitoes don't get enough blood from a single meal, mm -hmm. so they look for another, for another uh, host in order to produce their eggs. Uh, so this also proves that there's a high risk of the transmission of the species that are zoonotic, that could be transmitted between humans and animals. Uh, like, for instance, uh, Westnet virus, Sindbis virus, or Usut virus, which also have wild birds as reservoirs and killer mosquitoes as vectors. Mm -hmm. 
So it's also uh, important to notice that there is a risk of, of cross-transmission of diseases among hosts. But of course in the UK we don't have any of those diseases so we can go and enjoy our time at the zoo without having to worry about that. Yes, no worries for now. There have been a few, a few uh, surveillances about these, but they are, well, they, they are not established. So no worries about, about that. So another part of your analysis was looking for plasmodium within the mosquitoes. Um, did you find any within the blood meals that the mosquitoes had taken? Well, this part of looking for the plasmodium parasite is the product of another PhD student. She is doing all the testing of the mosquitoes and birds, basically all the samples for the plasmodium parasite. And she's looking for the genetic features of the parasite. So what we do is that we extract the DNA from the mosquitoes uh, and then we do another PCR, an nested PCR for the parasite. After testing the mosquitoes, we found mainly three species of, of plasmodium, the avian malaria parasite, and these mosquitoes, th these parasites are local to Europe. They, they seem to be around in the wild birds. Yeah, we confirmed that this is the same parasite, that this, the, the same species of parasites that are infected both the birds and the mosquitoes and also the zoo, the zoo birds. So you, you were able to identify the parasite within the birds in the zoo and also in mosquitoes with blood meals. Does that provide you with enough evidence to show that the mosquitoes are transmitting avian malaria to the birds or did you have to do more work? Not exactly, because the thing is that a mosquito could feed in a host, in a bird that it's already infected and we could find the parasite, we could get the positive result from the abdomen of the mosquito or the blood meal uh, inside the abdomen of the mosquito. But for the parasite, in order to be able to be, uh, in order to be transmitted to a new host, it needs to migrate to the salivary glands in a different stage. So what we did after we found a few positive uh, samples was to extract the saliva from the mosquitoes. For this, I had to anesthetize the mosquitoes. They were alive, they were twitching a little bit, their guts were moving. It was awesome to see under the microscope. And then I put the proboscis of the mosquito, the biting part of the, of the head, into a capillary tube with some uh, mineral oil. So what, what the oil does is to extract the saliva uh, of the salivary glands. And then I did the extraction and the PCR from that, uh, from that sample. So we also got a couple of positive samples from those, uh, salivary, uh, from the, from those saliva samples. And we confirm that Culex pipiens is the local vector of the disease. So that's like the last bit of the puzzle that confirms that you can get avian malaria transmission within zoos in the UK. Yes, we confirm that the transmission is happening locally, but we are missing a small piece of the puzzle. And that is that we didn't find any mosquitoes feeding on penguins. So that's the goal of this year, that we're going to um, to look for mosquitoes feeding on penguins because we have the parasite in the mosquitoes, we have the parasite in the penguins, and we have the parasite in the wild birds. But there's a small, small chance that a different species of mosquitoes could be responsible for the transmission to the penguins. A bit unlikely, to be honest, uh, but we just have to explore that possibility. And also we want to check the risks 
for the uh, for the penguins in their exhibit. So we are going to look for mosquitoes that had fed on the penguins and where they are resting, where they are um, digesting the blood, where they are breathing around the penguins. And that's going to be um, the project of a master's student that is joining us uh, during this summer. And hopefully we'll get this final piece. The ultimate aim of your research is to inform how we keep birds in captivity to minimize the risk of avian malaria. Uh, do you think you've got enough information now to be able to inform policy on that? We have many important things. Uh, we will learn that uh, the transmission is happening locally and that the birds are constantly exposed. Also, we know that the treatment of the disease is not always very effective. So we have to focus on the prevention of the disease and that is controlling the mosquito population. So we found areas in the zoo that were very uh, prolific in terms of adult mosquitoes and also for larvae mosquitoes. So we know the conditions for this to happen and we can tell the zoo staff how to modify these areas, especially water bodies or certain refuge areas for the mosquitoes in order to prevent a high abundance of mosquitoes and in this way reduce the transmission to the birds. Uh, another interesting thing that we want to explore is that possibly the birds in the zoo are constantly exposed to the mosquitoes biting and the parasite, but it could be that the stressful events beyond the usual um, flow of visitor, visitors or staff mm -hmm. could trigger the outbreaks. So we just want to explore that a little bit more and we did um, a questionnaire that we sent to the to the zoos in the UK asking for avian malaria outbreaks and other epidemi epidemiological uh, information. So hopefully we will also have that answer soon. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you've done huge amounts of work, but you've got even more work to do before you come come to an end. Well, yes, I, ha I have to finish. This is my last year and I <laughs> have to finish. And, uh, regardless of how interesting this is becoming and how many uh, other lateral projects are um, emerging from this. So it's very interesting, but I have to stop working on the lab, start writing my thesis and finish and leave this for others to come. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for for this episode, but thank you very much for coming along and talking to us about avian malaria. Uh, it's been really interesting. Thanks to you, Peter. And thank you for listening to the IGH podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also leave reviews and comments for us there. If you want to know more about IGH, you can visit the Institute's website at www.liverpool.ac.uk forward slash infection dash and dash global dash health. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at IGH Liverpool. A huge thank you as well to the Microbiology Society and the Institute of Infection and Global Health who provided the funds for the recording equipment. The music is Words We Will Remember by Josh Woodward. This track and more of his work can be found on his website at www.joshwoodward.com.